At this time, I'd like to introduce Joel Poppenfuss. He is the founding pastor of Westlake Community Church and Journey Church here in Huntley. And he's currently the director of cross-country and track and field at Judson University. Thank you. Well, good morning. I'm privileged to be here today to be able to bring the message. I'm glad you're here. I'm, uh, if I seem distracted during this message, it's because I'm praying for no rain this morning or this afternoon, so I, I, I got to confess. Great to see you here today. Glad to be here. Your pastor, Dan, has been a friend to me for many, many years and an extremely encouraging person through some real challenging moments in my life, and so uh, this church is near and dear to my heart, I, I'm uh, glad to be here. Springbrook has always been an encouraging place for me. Um, I, I want to do a little bit of Q&A here this morning, but you're, you're going to give the A by just raising your hand, so you get a little bit of a shoulder workout today. Uh, it's summertime, as you know, and summertime traditionally means vacation time in America, so I have some questions. Number one, uh, how many of you have already been on vacation this summer? If you have, raise a hand. Always taking some vacation time. Okay, so a few of you. But the summer is it's still young, right? How many of you uh, are, are going on vacation in the coming weeks? Raise your hand, okay? A lot of you. All right. How many of you aren't going but really wish you were going? Let's see your hands. Be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you there. I'd like, to, I'd like to be going. Well, vacation time is here. And as you know, with vacation comes this thing that we all really enjoy, called packing. Now, I need to get your opinion on the subject of packing, and I'm going to make a statement, and if you agree with the statement, I want you to clap, okay? Really simple. If you agree with my statement, just clap. Packing is a nightmare. I knew I could get you to clap for me if I played my cards right here today. Packing is a nightmare. It, it, there's no two ways about it. I mean, people break out in a cold sweat when they think about packing, or, or maybe when they think about their significant other packing. How about, how about that? There, there are a couple different, yes, oh, oh, there you go. There are a couple different ways to approach packing. Um, they, Michelle said in, the, in my intro that I'm a coach. I'm track and field and cross-country coach at Judson University coached for a long time here at Huntley High School when I was a pastor in this community. As a college coach, I do some travel, and when I travel, I have this particular approach to packing, and it's, it's best summarized by this bag I'm holding here. No matter how long I'm going, if it's one day or five or seven, my goal is to get it all in this bag. That, now, some of you think that's absolutely the strangest thing you've ever heard of, and some of you like that idea. This is kind of the minimalist approach to packing, I would say. Uh, the, next, uh, the next approach to packing is a little bit different. Maybe, maybe you would call this the maximalist approach. I don't, even, I don't even know if that's a word, but sounds pretty good to me. The maximalist approach to packing. And so I use the minimalist approach. And this woman that I've lived with for a long time, who some people refer to as my wife, she uses the maximalist approach, and you can see it's a, it's a generous bag with a lot of room, and if I open it up, you can really see how much room is inside it. It's, it's really, it's, it's, oh, there's another bag in here, okay? 
this is all part of the maximalist approach. There's, there's bag after, after bag after bag. It, it, it never ends. She took a trip recently, and I, when I found out I had to help her pack her van, I, I'm, I'm going to admit, I, I started crying. I just broke down. I just had a fit of crying because, of, because she's got the maximalist approach. Now, we talk about vacation. We talk about packing. We joke about packing being a nightmare. You know, there's some trips that you pack for that it seems pretty easy. You're just throwing things in, not really giving it a lot of thought. It doesn't make any difference if you're gone for a week, if you bring everything you absolutely needed. Whatever you need, you can either beg, borrow, or steal, right? You can, maybe you shouldn't steal, all right? Maybe that's not such a good idea. So some trips, and they're not difficult to pack for, but there are other times when packing is a bigger deal, and you, you really think about what you're taking, and you you plan it out, and it seems like really critical or crucial. I remember, I've got a bunch of kids. That my bio talks about we're the blessed parents of five kids, and, and we are. And I remember when my first son uh, left home, he went to the, the U.S. Marine Corps, and packing for him was really easy. Uh, the recruiter told him, uh, here's what you can bring with you, the clothes on your back, a toothbrush, and your driver's license. And that was it. Pulled up in front of the house, rang the doorbell. He walked out the door, got in a car, and that was it. So we didn't have to think much about packing. Now, we, we did think a lot about praying for him as he fought in Iraq. Uh, but packing wasn't a big deal. The next kid that left went off to college. And, uh, and so that was a little bit different. And I, I can still remember thinking about all the things that, that he would need. And I, and I was thinking about what he would need as a student. And so I... I bought this plastic file box, you know those file boxes with the handle on them, and, and I filled that with all the things I thought he needed, and boy, I was really careful in selecting those things, and, and so he took it off to college and went to college and graduated and all that good stuff, came back into the area to work, as kids often do, they often come home these days, right? Um, he didn't come home to live, he did come home to store his stuff, though, can, can I get an amen to that? Is that happening to any of you? I mean... You know, we got kids as old as 33 in our family, and they still got stuff at our house. So I, I don't know what to do with that. But, but uh, you know, I had, I had packed so carefully trying to help this kid who was going to be far away with no resources and, and no wheels and completely on his own. And I remember one day I was in the garage moving stuff around, and here was a pile of my son Casey's stuff, and, and here was that file case. And I, I picked that file case up and kind of looked at it, remembering, and, and uh, I popped the snaps on it, opened it up, and wouldn't you know, it looked as if it had never been touched. And so I had packed so carefully. I mean, I remember I, I agonized over it. I mean, my parents didn't think about that when I went off to college. They just, I think they just think about, thought about how good it was to have me gone. And, uh, but, you know, I had thought about that so carefully, and, and he, really, he really didn't need or didn't use any of it. And, and, and he really did fine. He did fine. He was a very good student and uh, received his college degree. Well, there are some trips that you pack for that don't seem like such a big deal. You don't have a lengthy list. You don't have crucial items. and just It's casual, okay? And then there are other trips that you pack for where it seems like a huge deal. I mean, I so carefully put together that case for my son, thinking it was so critical. Whether it was or not isn't important. There are many of you today who God has blessed with children. Um, your moms, your dads, 
Your kids may be young, they may be in school, they may be adults, but God has blessed you. There are others here today who have been blessed to work with children. Perhaps you serve in Awana at this church, or in VBS, or you teach in Sunday morning ministries, or you're a student ministry sponsor and leader on some level. There are others who have been called to work with children or students uh, as a career. You teach. You coach. Uh, you advise. You might be a college professor. Whatever your role in working with children today, with students, there's going to be a point at which your daily influence over them is going to come to an end. And our focus this morning is this question. When these kids, when these children, when these students God has placed in your care, when they leave your sphere of daily influence, what do they need to take with them? To really be successful, to become who God has created them to be, to handle all the things that life is going to throw at them, to really thrive, what do they need? Our sermon title this morning is My Packing List, and today I want to talk about some items that I think every child needs. And I hope you'll jot these things down, I hope you'll reflect on them, no matter where you're at in life, I think there are applications here for every one of us. But I want to talk about four items today. The first is this, every child needs this, they need to know they matter to God. They matter to God. The Gospel of Luke is my favorite, one of the four Gospels, and chapter 15 is perhaps my favorite chapter. In chapter 15, Jesus tells a number of stories in response to an accusation that is made of him. And we're going to go ahead and read through the text here of Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is a charge against Jesus. It's an accusation that he is way too friendly with people who are not part of the religious establishment, meaning they are not good, righteous, and holy. Or, as they would say in that day, they're unclean. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Second story is of a woman who has lost a coin. First is a shepherd who's lost a sheep. Now a woman who's lost a coin. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so he tells a story of a shepherd who has lost one sheep and a woman who has lost one coin out of ten, ten percent of everything 
she owns. And then Jesus tells the story of a father who has lost a son. And the son has grown impatient with his progress in life and his standing within the family, approaches his dad, asks for his inheritance early. The wise dad complies knowing he can't control what the son's going to do. The son takes off, things go poorly, something gets his attention, he realizes he's lost his mind, that his actions are insane, and that he must return. And here's where we pick up the story. Uh, So he gets up, the son, goes to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So we have three stories that Jesus tells here in response to the accusation that he loves sinners. He cares about them way too much. In each story, something of great value is lost. Incredible value. The shepherd loses a sheep. The woman loses a coin that represents 10% of all she owns. And the father loses what is nearest and dearest to his heart, a son. In each story, something of great value is lost. In each story, then, an all-out search is launched. An all-out search is launched. The shepherd looks high and low, probably late into the night. The woman tears her house apart, and the father searches in the only way he really can. He can't go and humiliate that adult child and drag him back. He just has to wait with an open heart and with open arms. And so he does. He waits, and he watches. And in each story, when that item of great value, a sheep, a coin, a son, is found. The Bible tells us it is cause for all-out rejoicing. Now Jesus told these stories to illustrate God's love for lost people. And whenever I read these stories, that phrase comes to mind over and over. You matter to God. And I believe it's a truth that every human being needs to be taught and see modeled because it is a truth that is life-changing. Think about it this way. Every one of us needs a father who is waiting and watching, who waits and watches for us so carefully, so relentlessly. He can spot us coming a long way off. Even when we're so far away, he can't not possibly make out our facial features he just knows it's us by our statue, a stature, by our bearing, by, the, by our gait, the way we walk, the way we move. Every one of us. He's a father who cares so much, he's willing to throw off all societal and cultural expectations. This dad violated every spoken and unspoken rule regarding what it meant to be dignified in your behavior as the father of a household in first century Eastern culture. He threw it all aside. He tossed to the wind what people would think about him, what people would say to him. And he, would, and he ran and embraced his son and celebrated him. And I don't know what more powerfully signals you matter to God than these three stories. I also don't know what is any more important 
for any child, any student, whether it's our own or someone else's, to learn from us and to take with them into life than this truth that they matter to God. Because that's where it all begins. How do we do this? Well, we do it through our attitude, the attitude we cultivate and manage every day. We do it through the values that we live by and live out in front of people. We do it through how we treat people and how we value them ourselves and the respect that we give them. We do it through how we teach and what we teach those in our care about who God is, what He's like, His character, and His attributes. But I'm convinced this has got to be an item at the top of our packing list. For the children and students God places in our care, you matter to God. Here's number two. Number two, you can do this. You can do this. Joshua chapter 1 records the changing of the guard in Israel. The baton, the mantle of leadership is being passed from Moses to Joshua. Israel has circled around. They've spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. That entire generation of unbelief dying. And Joshua has been selected to lead the charge. We read this in verse 8, chapter 1 of the book of Joshua. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. For then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now this is the promise of God's presence in Joshua's life that is conditioned upon him submitting his life to the truth and the principles of God's Word. But it's a promise nonetheless. And the promise says to Joshua in the strongest possible way, listen, buddy, you can do this. Don't be scared of the giants. Don't be scared of your people. I am with you. And when God says, I am with you, He's promising His presence, which we can never run from or effectively flee in this world. The the book of Psalms is filled with explanations of why that is true. When He promises His presence, He promises His provision. He promises protection. He promises His Spirit. And He promises His power. You know, what is equally important is to not only hear from God that He is in our corner, but to hear from sharp, wise, mature people who care about us that they are in our corner. 36 years ago, a woman said, I do to me. I didn't get a lot right as a young man. But I got that one right. I married a woman of high character, raised by great people who had a rock-solid understanding of this thing called commitment. Let me tell you, it was my only chance of staying married if my wife really understood commitment. I'm not kidding you. I think I was probably a nightmare. I, I might still be a nightmare. I'm not entirely sure. But she got it. And she stuck with me 
Next month, we celebrate our 36th anniversary, which, more than anything else, is a celebration of her. For 36 years, she has been that person in my corner who at every turn when life got difficult, sticky, discouraging, hard, said, listen, you can do this. You can do this. And the fact that I have always received that from her made it more and more easy for me to become a dad who would always give that to his children. So now that my kids are older, 33, 28, 26, 25, it's still what I strive to give to them every time, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, stance, Adam, Casey, Marcus, Myra, you can do this. And it's what I strive to give to the students that God blesses me with at Judson University, whether I'm teaching a class or coaching my team. To communicate belief in their talent, their ability, and their preparation. To let them know always I am in their corner. I've got their back. I believe in them. And I will never stop believing in them. And I'm convinced that our children, that our students, regardless of what our relation is to them, desperately need to have positive people in their lives who consistently communicate this message so that it becomes part of their psyche, part of how they look at and view the world. They can do this. That's item number two. Here's item number three. This one's a little bit different. Item number three is you need to commit to the habits of success. On the surface, this seems like a strange item, but it's really not. I think we as human beings tend to see the end result always. And we tend to focus on the end result and, and we tend to desire and want the end result. What we tend not to focus on and not to desire is the process. The journey that gets you to that place. Now that's true whether you're 3 years old or 13 years old or 23 or 53 or 83. It doesn't matter. We, by virtue of our human nature... Love the results. Hate the process. But the process is really key. I recruit all the time as a college coach. I mean all the time. It's 12 months a year. It's every week of the year. I've recruited on Christmas Day and every holiday you can think of. I recruit. If I go to Walmart today, I might see somebody stocking shelves and ask them, do you run track and field? I mean, it's, it, it's an all-the-time thing for a college coach. And whenever I talk to recruits, I talk to them about the values that are important to our program, and the first thing I talk about is we look for athletes that can hammer it hard every day. Hammer it hard every day. And, of course, there you're talking about commitment, you're talking about effort, you're talking about work ethic, and invariably whoever I'm talking to says, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a really hard worker. I'm, I, man, I work hard all the time. I'm the hardest worker on my team. I mean, every single athlete, they can't all be the hardest worker, right? But they all, they all tell you, without exception that they're the heart hardest worker. And so then I go into my spiel about what it means to hammer it hard every day. And I, and I say this. I say, you know, you're not committed to success in life until you commit yourself to the habits of success. In other words, the process. And that takes planning and skill, the ability to say no to yourself and sacrifice 
It takes the ability, the discipline to work first and play second. It takes, it takes a lot of different things. Um, and so we talk about this a lot with our athletes. And you know, I've talked about it a lot with my children. And I look back at my life, I, you know, I wish somebody would have talked to me a lot about it. Maybe I wouldn't have stumbled around as much as a young person. When I think about this process of growth and development, one of the passages that always comes back to my mind is Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah 40, the, the children of, uh, of the nation of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, are being, they're being encouraged by the Lord regarding His future plans for them, and they're, they're, they're fearful of being taken over and, and ruled by foreign countries. It's a time of discipline uh, for the southern kingdom. And, uh, and we read these words in Isaiah 40 that are, that are comforting and encouraging. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my course is disregarded by my God? And there you see the attitude. God's abandoned me. God's forgotten me. God doesn't care about me. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, who trust in Him, who rely on Him, who depend on Him, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will not walk and not be faint. These are some of the most encouraging words in all the writings of the prophets. And the message here is unmistakable. No matter where you're at, no matter what's going on, if you know God by faith, He is at work in your life and He is at work to do good things. And He can give you this strength even when you're down and even when you're struggling and even when the circumstances seem dire. And if you'll walk by faith into Him, look at those promises in verse 31. You can soar. You can run. You can walk. And the one I always focus on is the last one because I think it's the greatest promise in this passage. It's that ability to keep putting one foot in front of the other no matter what. And you know, people who are committed to success in life, whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a coach, whether you're a business person, whatever your career, whatever your family situation, people who are committed to success are invariably committed to the habits that lead to success. Kids don't think about this. They don't know it unless it's taught to them. And that's why I say this is the third item on our packing list that is just crucial. Now here's the fourth. Here's the fourth. You need to run from comfort. You need to run from comfort. We get a joke that goes around our track and field and cross-country team, and, and we talk about training. We talk about off-season training. We ask kids what they do on the weekend, what they do over Thanksgiving, what they do over Christmas break, spring break. And, and we always just say, hey, did you work hard? Did you get your workouts in? Did you do your recovery work? Were you, were you working hard? Were you working hard? Or were you laying on the couch eating Cheetos? That's our deal. Okay? And they always joke about that. And I joke about, you know, I... I'd like to see somebody run a race with a bag of Cheetos stuffed into the waistband of their, jet, 
Sure. I mean, the kids, they know I'm a little crazy. But. And, and you know, training doesn't represent comfort. Training represents pain. Training represents sacrifice. Training represents uh, the breakdown of muscle tissue. And there's pain involved there. And it's not comfortable. And it's something that you often don't feel like doing. The couch and Cheetos, on the other hand, might just like some of you are going to Cheeto, get some Cheetos right after service today after hearing this. I mean, that represents comfort. I, I want to tell you this. Comfort is overrated. Comfort ain't never done nothing for nobody in this world. We live in a culture that is consumed with the concept of comfort. And you know, it, it, it infects our culture, but it also infects our families. We have so many parents who, who their top concern is, is to consistently shield their, their son, their daughter, from any situation in which they ever experience any level of discomfort whatsoever. What an unfortunate view of the path of human development that is. I heard John Maxwell, the great teacher of leaders and mentor of leaders, speak years ago. He was talking about what leads to change in people's lives. And this struck me so much, I I wrote it down and I think about it often and I talk about it often. Maxwell says there are three times, there are three kinds of people change, there are three times when people change and, and wise leaders pay attention. And they watch, and then they interact and do what they can to invest in the middle of those times and help people move to a better place in their development as Christ followers. John Maxwell says this, people change when they hurt enough, they have to. I'm not going to ask you to vote today, but I'm a number one. Any significant changes that have happened in my life have happened happened because of pain, because of disappointment, because to stay the same would just hurt too much. And if it wasn't me it was hurting, it would be my wife that it was hurting. Or it would be my children that it was hurting. Or when I was pastoring, maybe it would be my church that it was hurting. People change, Maxwell says, when number one, they hurt enough, they have to. Number two, they learn enough, they want to. I can still remember when I learned to ride a bicycle without training wheels. For a while I rode with training wheels, and then the day came when somebody in their infinite wisdom decided I had enough skill that they could take those things off. And I guess they were right, because I just jetted down the street. and I, I, I think it went well. I don't remember. It was a long time ago, but I think it went well. That's a good example. You, you learn enough that, that you want to do something new. And then Maxwell says people change. When they receive enough, they're able to. And then he summarizes this in this manner. He said, in other words, people have to feel the heat, see the light, or receive the strength. Wow. As an older guy now, with a lot of life behind me, does that ever make sense? And as a guy who's been blessed to be able to spend a lot of time studying God's Word, i got to be honest with you. I see it all throughout the Bible. I see this, that hard things, tough things, disappointment, failure, rejection, and betrayal in my life 
are the things that have produced growth and change when nothing else would. And it reminds me of this verse in Hebrews that honestly I've never been able to fully grasp. But it goes like this, talking about Jesus. Even though Jesus was the Son of God, He learned obedience by what He suffered. He was the perfect Son of God without sin, but somehow, for some reason, it was important for Him to enter into that same growth process that the rest of us, normal human beings created by Him, go through. Listen, here's why you need to run from comfort. Comfort ain't never done nothing for nobody. We grow because of the things that push us out of our comfort zone, that stretch us, that push us forward, that force us to develop, to take a risk, to see ourselves in a different light. And if we don't have those things, we don't grow. We don't change. Hey, just look at the stories in the Bible. Look at the people for whom this story is true. Look at Moses, who lives a cushy life as, 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 the, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter and, and, and makes a rash decision and kills an Egyptian and ends up spending 40 years in the wilderness tending to sheep as his preparation time for leading the nation of Israel. Look at Joseph, who incurs the wrath of his brothers, probably because he was foolish in sharing those big, grandiose dreams with everybody, but nevertheless ends up being a slave and then treated as a criminal when in fact he's not done a thing wrong. Leaves home, loses his family, loses his father, loses his home, loses everything that's familiar to him. You want to talk about pain and suffering. And look what God does in his life. And you can go on and on. You've got David who runs for years from King Saul who is unbelievably jealous of him and wants to take his life. And Daniel who leaves Jerusalem as a, as a young man, is thrown in the lion's den, is threatened with death. Paul, who was shipwrecked and beaten countless times and imprisoned numerous times. Listen, God changes people through the garbage of life. And children, kids, students have a desperate need to hear this message, to understand so that they can process when life seems to be circling the drain. Hey, God's got something for me to learn here. God's at work. God's teaching. God's changing me. He must love me an awful lot to allow me to go through the garbage of this life. And so I think that's item number four. You've you got to run from comfort. I, one of my favorite success speakers, his name's Darren Hardy. He's got a message or, or a speech he gives called, called Get Comfortable Being Uncomfortable. And some of the points he makes in this speech, and you might want to look it up, it's that good. He says, do what you resist. Here's how you get comfortable being uncomfortable. You do what re- you resist. What that means is when you're presented with two paths, pick the path of most resistance. Don't pick the easy way. Pick the hard way. Because if it's hard, you're going to learn. And you're going to be stretched. And you're going to be changed. And you're going to be forced to sharpen your skills and grow your leadership and expand your ability to overcome challenges. And then he says, push past hard. There's a point in every endeavor where it becomes hard where you hit the proverbial wall. There's no growth getting to the wall, Hardy says. Growth is only achieved by what you do after you hit the wall. It's all on the other side. He says, go for failure. If you haven't failed, you haven't finished. The end isn't success in life, it's failure. Failure is where the edge of your current capabilities lie. And then one more thing I'll share 
from his talk, Get Comfortable Being Uncomfortable. He says, he says, toughen up. This is his final point. He says, success is hard. Enjoy that fact. The fact that it's hard eliminates the weak and those unwilling to do what's uncomfortable. He says, both successful and unsuccessful people hate to do what it takes to be successful. This is what we need, need to teach our children. The difference, the difference, even though they both hate it, successful people do it anyway. And they do it consistently. And that's what separates them from those who are unsuccessful. i got an athlete on my team named Dan. Dan's a phenomenal athlete. Dan was a high school state champion in his event. He came to Judson University because we have a, a strong architecture program and you must have thought I was okay as a coach. I don't know. I have no explanation for that part of it. But Dan is really, really good. And as a sophomore, two years ago, he qualified for NAIA Nationals. On the way to NAIA Nationals, about three weeks out, uh, vaulting on a, he's a pole vaulter, vaulting on a new pole in, uh, in Oklahoma City, he, he snaps that pole in half. And, uh, and he's okay. It's dangerous and scary, but he's okay. Um, but he's got no pole for nationals. And pole vaulters move up on poles. The length of the pole, the weight of the pole as they get better and, and reach higher heights. And now he's in trouble because a pole is a tool for a pole vaulter and he doesn't have his tool. Well, it's too, you can't get one made. They don't sell poles at Walmart or Costco or anything like that. They manufacture them in a factory and it takes time to do that and we can't get one made. And so we start searching and we find a coach who will loan us the pole that's closest to Dan's pole. But the problem then is he can't practice. And so uh, we were out of time. time. We leave for NAIA Nationals in Gulf Shores, Alabama. We get down there, and on the day for practice, the winds are swirling so badly that he really can't get up on that pole, meaning he can't go and try to, to reach a high height. He can just take runs down the runway. And so here we are. Here we are on Saturday in the National Championship with a guy who's qualified for Nationals for his very first time ever on a pole he has never vaulted on. And I can't begin to tell you what a horrifically scary situation that is for somebody who's trying to launch themselves 16-plus feet in the air. His first vault at finals goes poorly. I mean, he, he plants the pole, he, goes, he, he can't get up in the air at all, and it's like, oh, no. Oh, no, my heart just sank. And I knew how difficult it was. And I wondered if, after having gotten all this way, he was going to be derailed by this equipment emergency. But you know, Dan comes from good stock. Fine Christian parents who are sharp, who are dedicated, who along the way had taught this young man that you need to run from comfort every time it rears its ugly head. And this kid leveraged his training he leveraged what he'd learned in his home and what he'd been taught in his church and what student ministry people had given him and members of our coaching staff, some of the talented people that coach with me. He clears the next four heights on his first attempt, gritting his teeth, and is an All-American. I don't know if I have ever seen an athlete so fully embrace what is uncomfortable and then succeed as Dan did that day. 
You know, our children need to be taught this. Our students need to be taught this. I think we need to be taught this as well. I want to encourage you today to kind of pause and take a breath. To consider what God might want to teach you this morning. Maybe maybe what He might be encouraging you to do as you leverage your leadership and your opportunities, maybe with your own children, maybe with other people's kids, maybe with students. Do not sell yourself short. If He's placed you in a leadership position, whatever the role, He's put you there for a reason, and you've got influence. And His heart is for you to use that. And what those children, what those students need is for you to use that. But you know what? The applications from these principles, these items on the packing list, go far beyond that. Because not only is this what every child needs, every student needs, this is what every one of us needs. Someone who stands in our corner and says, you can do this. That, that truth, that reality that we matter to God. The, the realization that we have to to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And and finally, the understanding that uh, that we need to commit to the habits of success. God wants to take each one of us where we are today and move us forward. For our sake, for the kingdom's sake, for the sake of people around us. Let's let Him do that. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful that You are a good God, that You understand us, that You know our needs. And that because You've created us and put us together, You know what works. We've talked today about some of the things that work. I pray for every person here who has the privilege of having their own children or being able to care for and invest in other people's children. I pray for confidence. I pray for focus. I pray for the realization that they, they have been given a, a tremendous opportunity and that they have influence. And that You want to empower them to use that influence to impact the lives of children and students. And then, Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would be reminded again of how much we matter to You. That You are in our corner also. Help us find other people who will fill that role in our lives. Help us be willing to adopt those habits of success and run from comfort. For we pray it through Jesus. Amen.